Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. So if anyone has slipped in during the course of the worship time, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here, and it's a real joy for me to be able to take us into our second week of our Christmas series um, that we are doing out of the Gospel of John this year as we unpack the glory of God and the hope for humanity that is revealed for us in the birth of Jesus And uh, last week, we looked at the first couple of verses, verses 1 to 5 of John's gospel, and we looked at how the beginning of John's gospel gives us this introduction into the power and significance and glory of Jesus, that the story about Jesus does not begin with Mary or Joseph or the angels or Isaiah or David or even Abraham. Because before there was a beginning, there was the word, the light, Jesus, who was with God and who was God. And it is this glorious eternal person. And you can see that John is going to want us to feel this tension as we move through the rest of his gospel. As we we look at this glorious eternal Jesus who becomes the vulnerable baby who grows up to be the man to teach and to live and to die and to rise again, that we would hold together this tension, that the baby that comes that we celebrate on Christmas Day, we need to know who he really is, that this is not just a child that that has been born. This is the eternal son of God through whom Everything that was made was made. And because of that, we can have real hope that ultimately the light will overcome the darkness. Because of the glory and power and authority of the eternal son of God. And that's sort of where we got to. If you missed it, you can perhaps catch up online. It is online. And and then we come to verse 6. And from verse 6 to 13, it's a little strange because he seems to break into the flow of speaking about the glorious word of God, who we then in verse 14 see becomes flesh and dwells among us. But in between, it almost doesn't make sense. You know, if I was writing it, good job I wasn't, you know, but if I was writing it, I would have been tempted to go from verse 5 and then straight through to verse 14. And you think, why has John inserted this little piece about John the Baptist at this point in the story? Or John the witness, as he's known in the Gospel of John. And we're going to find out how incredibly significant it is that he does that. Not just to give us a clue about the purpose of the whole Gospel, but actually to give us a clue about our purpose as Christian people living in relationship with God. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open them up or your phones or wherever you read them. John chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 6 
through to verse 13, but the, the verses will be on the screen if you need that. Okay, verse 6, there was a man, and immediately the whole tone changes. It's all been about the Word who was in the beginning, who was eternal, who was with God, and who was God, and suddenly there's a man on the scene, sent from God, whose name was John, not the John who writes the gospel, John the Baptist or John the Witness. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, because of the ministry of John, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God himself. And so we see that sandwiched between this incredible description of the glory of the eternal word and that word becoming flesh in verse 14 that Ryan's going to pick up on on Christmas Day, we have this comment about John the witness. And I guess if you've been reading verses 1 to 5, you sort of look at that and you think, well, if this is the one that is coming into the world, the one who made everything, the glorious word of God, who was not just with God, but is God, and he's going to be doing his work on the earth, what possible part could a human being, could human beings have to play in what God is doing? Surely we're not needed. Do you ever feel like that? Surely I'm not needed. If God needed to get it done, he could do it. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. And yet we see right from the get-go, the very beginning, we see, no, it was God's intention to have a human witness to the glory of God. The glory of God necessitates our witness. This is God's intention to send a human to send John to be a witness to the light, though he's not the light, so that people might believe in the light. And this becomes the focus of the whole of John's gospel. It becomes the focus of his life and his ministry and his letters. It is the focus of the apostles and under them, the early church, as they recognize this is our mandate to be witnesses to the light. And we see the light overcomes the darkness as you and I testify to it. God has chosen that our words, that it would be through our words that people would come to faith in this glorious sun. What you say to others about Jesus has eternal significance. And when we keep silent, it also has eternal significance. 
I want to show you a little video clip. This is taken from the Alpha course that I know some of you did earlier on in the year. You might recognize it, those of you that have done it. But just a couple of minutes that I felt were, were really pertinent and helpful at this moment. So hopefully this, uh, this works out all right. And we can just turn the volume up a smidge for it. That'd be great. Okay. Apologies that that light comes on when we turn these off. It's one of those things that we haven't got our heads around yet. Here we go. I can remember before I was a Christian, I used to be really irritated by the Christians that I met who wanted to talk to me about their faith. It's like they were trying to convert me. I was an atheist. I wasn't trying to convert anybody to atheism. I couldn't understand why they couldn't just keep it to themselves. Sometimes people say, isn't faith just a private matter? Aren't the best kind of Christians the ones who live out their faith but don't talk about it? And everyone seems to have a kind of Uncle Norman, this perfect Christian who lives it out but doesn't talk about his faith. But the question I want to ask is, how did Uncle Norman become a Christian? Someone must have told him. And if the early Christians hadn't talked about their faith, we would never have heard. So why should we tell people about Jesus? First of all, because Jesus told us to. The word go appears in the Bible 1,514 times. Jesus was constantly saying to his disciples, go and tell, go and invite, go and make disciples. He's saying, I've come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. Go and tell people the good news about me. And then there's the need of other people out there. It's, a, it's an act of love to tell people this amazing news that Jesus brings us peace, a, a deep inner joy, fills our hearts with love, brings meaning and purpose to our lives, brings forgiveness, eternal life. I mean, this is amazing. It's like if you found water in a desert, an oasis. It would be really selfish just to take the water and drink it yourself and not tell your friends. You want to tell your friend, look, we found water. And it's natural to want to tell people, we found Jesus. And then it's such good news. The word gospel literally means good news. And when you hear good news, you want to tell other people. Good news travels fast. My name's Hugo Monnier. I'm a former rugby player. Um, I used to play for a team called Harlequins in London. Um, played for England and the British and Irish Lions. I'm now a commentator slash pundit. So I've gone from playing rugby to talking about it, which is great. Whether it be socialising, making new friends, going into a new job, became a professional rugby player. Um, I guess I, I thought I was a bit too cool to go to church. Wasn't so much a priority in my life, put it on the back burner and kind of became infatuated and other things took the role of God in my life. That's kind of how it was for me. But then kind of moving into rugby, that, that changed a little bit. It became more of a focal point when I just started to find my feet a little bit. Um, it's funny, before every game, people talk about rituals and some guys... They put the right sock on first or they're out of the changing room last. But for me, within rugby, the one thing I always had to do was get on the phone and say a prayer before I went out onto the rugby pitch. For me, that moment was more important than any of the training I had done. We had a huge game against uh, London Wasps. Um, they're a big rival, huge game for us. 
and uh, written this message under my top. And uh, I scored one of the best tries I ever scored for Harlequins, my, my team. And uh, scored this try, lifted up my top, showing this message which says, uh, thank you, Jesus. No one saw the message apart from the people who were in front of me, which were in the crowd. None of my teammates had seen it. Not until about Tuesday, Wednesday, where some pictures came out in the press and it came out on the internet. And they were like, you go, what the heck was that? Didn't get it. They were, some, some guys were a bit concerned. They're like, is everything okay in your life? I mean, why do you need Jesus? I mean, what, what does that mean? I mean, like, are you part of a cult now? And asking all these kind of weird questions, but I was so glad that it became a topic. And it was really cool. And then you could start talking to them about, you know, the reasons why you did it and why I felt. And for me, this has been my best news. And I want the world to know about it. For me, it's just having conversations. It's not knocking on the door too hard. But it's just telling people about your good news. I love going to church. I love my God because of this is what he's done for me. If you want a part of it, whatever it is. But it's just having decent conversation. If people can trust and they see the authenticity in you, then they may want a piece of it too. I, I now commentate. I talk about rugby. And when I do my commentary, the one thing I know I've got to do is be excited about it. Because I'm talking to people at home. And if I can't be excited about rugby, how can I expect people at home to be and the same is, with, same is with the Christian faith. If when I'm talking about my Christian faith, if I'm like, what's it like? Yeah, well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not bad, you know. Um, you know, they do good cups of tea and uh, the message is normally pretty good. No one's coming to church. But if I'm genuinely excited about it, then, then they're going to get excited. They may want to understand. They may want to get it for them. And uh... Great. Before we watch the whole of the Alpha Talk... Uh, bring that to a close. Uh, apologies for the South Africans in the room who had to see him with the intercept try there. Um, okay. But I, I think one of the sad ideas that has crept into the church, and, and I think at a deep level, we know that it's not true, but because we find sharing our faith with other people so challenging and scary, we allow this thinking to sort of percolate in the background and it hinders us from following the things that God has called us to do. And it's that, and this I think is the thinking, that we can allow our life, and by that we mean the way we live, to be a testimony of our faith without ever actually having to talk to people about God. Does, does that resonate with anyone as something that you sort of think, well, I can, I can be a testimony through my actions without having to be a witness with my words. That it's okay to be a covert Christian that doesn't have to challenge other people in the things that they believe. Because we recognize as soon as we speak about it, it does up the ante. And it does bring a level of challenge um, that I think often we would prefer to avoid. And I've heard people um, quote Francis of Assisi, or at least misquote Francis of Assisi, and I believe often with good intentions, okay? So because I think that the heart of the misquote is good, although it is a misquote and it isn't good. Uh, and that is, uh, they quote Francis of Assisi saying, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. And the truth is <laughs> that he never said that. And he never would have said it.
because it implies that it might be possible to preach the gospel without words, maybe even be better to preach the gospel without words. But Francis of Assisi was one of the greatest gospel preachers of his generation. He trained countless others to go and preach the gospel. And this is a quote from Thomas um, Salino, who wrote um, just years after his death, I think three years after his death in 1229, as he was teaching some of the the friars who were with him to, to go out and preach the gospel. And he says this to him, to them, the preacher must first draw from secret prayers, that which he will later pour out in holy sermons. He must first grow hot within before he speaks words that are in themselves cold. And this was a big part of Francis of Assisi's message to the people he was training. He did teach in his preaching classes, and this sort of everyone has agreed, that what we say must be backed up by the way we live. There must be integrity. You can't get up and talk about living a lifestyle like this and be living in a completely different way. And so he did say, our deeds must preach. But you need to go on and look at the rest of what he was saying in that. The same message as our sermons. Because you have to communicate the gospel so that people can understand who Jesus is and why we need him. The Bible and Jesus, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke are all crystal clear on this. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't it um, interesting that there is a there's a declaration that needs to be made even for our own salvation. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Then he goes on in verse 14. How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching or explaining or teaching them? And how can anyone preach or teach or explain unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are your feet this morning? Okay. He goes on in verse 17 to say this. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so we see right in verse 6 of the gospel, John, the witness, is sent to testify about the light that was coming into the world. And we are called as God's people, as his children, as his witnesses, to go and make disciples of all nations. To go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. I guess if we were to translate that to today, it would be from Belmont to Sutton to London to the rest of Great Britain and the rest of the world. Our community and from there onwards. You know, I I was at a girls' school in Sutton not that long ago, not attending the school, but invited in to... um, 
to answer questions at one of the religious education classes. And we had this discussion. There was another uh, pastor that was there, and they could ask any questions they liked. I remember being so challenged by one of the questions. Essentially, they asked this. If Christians believe in Jesus, if they believe in Jesus, why don't they talk about it? Why don't they tell us about it? It got to the end of the class and they were saying, and these were girls that are from a, a different faith background to us. They were saying, where can I find out about this Jesus that you're talking about? Where can I do that and be safe? How can I safely find out about this Jesus that you're talking about now? Because no one has told us. I think we need to find some courage in this season ahead to be bold and courageous and tool up. We need to encourage each other. People that don't know Jesus yet are depending on us talking to them to overcome our fear of shame and rejection and share with them the good news that actually can set them free. Yes, in ways that are loving and kind and respectful, but also are true and bold and courageous. And so we're going to do as much as we can do as a church to help us in that journey. Over the course of the next year, I really believe that this is something that God wants to establish in us as a church. Courage and equipping and armor for this battle that we're in. So our weekend away in February has this as a focus, seeing the glory of God like Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, high and lifted up. And then what does God say? Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. And I'm praying for hearts that are able to say that, that we would all be able to say that. At our Jesus Ministry Conference that we're going to be hosting here in April, we've got leaders from across the city who are coming in to speak with us about how we, in the Spirit, are able to step courageously into evangelism, church planting, mission in London. How do we overcome the spiritual challenges and how do we take hold of what God has given to us? That we can see our families and our friends and our communities transformed by the gospel. We're hoping to run courses through the year. Give people access to material. But you know, all of that is only helpful once we've made an inside heart decision. To say, Father, I might be scared. I might be unsure. I might be unskilled in this. Any of you feel like that? Okay? Scared, unsure, and ill-prepared. But I love you. And I trust your plan. You could have done it anyway. You could have had the angels responsible for evangelism and mission. You know, and sometimes I think that would be great. Leadership team meeting, we're all there along with Michael and Gabriel. 
you know, and we can just say, right, Michael, Gabriel, you happy with the evangelism portfolio? You just take that on, you know, take the myriads of angels that are with you and you go out into Sutton and you knock on the doors. Because, you know, if the angels were the ones that were knocking on the doors or, you know, or having the chat over coffee at work, I am sure we would see more people coming to faith. That's how we feel. And yet God's plan was that John would be the witness, that you would be the witness, and I would be the witness. And so it's about saying to God, God, I love you, and I don't understand it, but I trust your plan, that you have chosen to use people like us to be witnesses to the glory of the light. And if I'm the one that needs to go to my family and my friends and my colleagues, and my community, then I will do it. But God, I need your help. Would you strengthen me and give me courage and boldness and wisdom that I could be a witness for you at my school and university and in my family and wherever it is that you send me. God, I'm ready to go. God, I'm ready to go. I'm not prepared. (laughs) Isaiah was not prepared When he said, here I am, send me. But he trusted that God would prepare him as he went. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Are you prepared to say, God, here I am, you can send me. Here I am, you can send me. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.